Synergy Autism Podcast. Hello and welcome to a wonderful episode of the Synergy Autism Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the importance of play for connection in our lives, especially young children. And since this is an autism-based podcast, especially young children with autism, of course. And I have invited Barb O'Neill here today, and she is an expert in play and child development. So hi, Barb. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Barb. It's really nice to be here, and I can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. And, you know, um, we've only known each other for a few years, but I love your approach in early childhood to really basically step up the play and engagement with children. Um and especially those with quote unquote challenging behaviors mm. and that that can be an avenue for supporting kids in feeling connected and not having as many challenging behaviors. So can you please share a little bit about your background first and kind of how you came to this passion of working with children and specifically children with quote unquote challenging behaviors? Yeah, absolutely. Barb. Yeah. Well, I've been in the early childhood field for, I keep saying over 25 years, I think it's technically 27 at this point. And honestly, I kind of fell into it because um, after graduating from college, I was a little unsure what direction I was actually taking. And then a friend who worked at a childcare center invited me to work part-time in her classroom as an aide while I was kind of figuring things out. And I just immediately fell in love with it. and. Mm-hmm you know, connected to the topic we're speaking about today, I actually remember with horror (laughs) saying (laughs) to her, well, do they just play all day or like, do we teach them something, you know? And I think that's a common misconception, but it turns out that play is the optimal medium for children's learning. It's really where they're learning the most. Um, So much. I feel like we forget that today. And so I love hearing you say that. Yeah. And especially there's so much pressure these days on both um, professionals and families around like kindergarten readiness. And so, you know, for me, I've just seen throughout my career, whether it was when I was, you know, that floating teacher's aide in a childcare center in 1993 to when I was a preschool teacher leading my own classroom, special ed teacher. And then I went on to be a center director and professor And throughout all of those vantage points, I just saw again and again and again, the power of play, both for um, connecting, well, I guess for three things, for connecting with children, for promoting their learning and development, and then specifically to help with issues of challenging behavior, actually. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not always that play and challenging behavior are being discussed together, but Mm -hmm. capitalizing on children's propensity for play is kind of a a side door to addressing those challenging behavior issues. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm of course been in the field about the same amount of time actually, (laughs) and, but really focused on autism. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel like it's, um, I don't know if it's just my perspective or just, it feels like, especially true for kids with autism, we go straight into skill development rather than Mm. realizing that play can be an avenue. And I think that is hard because a lot of kids with autism won't uh, engage in typical stereotypical play. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. so the way that you have to enter that play might be a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you don't do it. 
Yeah. You know, that it's not all about skill development. It needs to be about play. Yeah. Well, and it can, it's, it doesn't have to be either or, right? Because you can be doing more, um, like if you're using an ABA approach or more discrete trials, um, you can do that and teaching through play. And also you are working on skill development during play, you know, probably even better. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) my biggest influence. Oh, sorry, Barb. Oh no, you're just, you're helping with generalization because they're able to bring it into their play and, and thought process. Mm -hmm. Sorry Mm -hmm. to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no. All good. I think we're both just so excited about this topic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, my influence in this area, um, and just so you know a little bit more about me when I was a special ed teacher for several years, I worked, um, for several years, I had my own classroom, and then I became a floating or itinerant special ed teacher. So I worked with a lot of children um, on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and my influence was uh, from my special ed, early childhood special ed background on this idea of a peer-mediated intervention mm-hmm. during play, and really looking at, you know, we can't just plop kids with IEPs into a classroom with their peers and say, oh, look, we're doing inclusion. We need to give them supports and specifically help them play with their peers. Mm Because the research shows that most of those children aren't going to have, as we might expect, play skills that would be typical for the other three, four or five-year-olds. So we need to really help them uh, to develop their play skills and develop their cooperative play skills with peers. Well, and I think what's interesting about that is that I've been um, really involved in uh, the inclusion, inclusion, you know, mm-hmm. movement, the, the fact that we need to be doing that. And I think, you know, this isn't going to be a podcast about inclusion, but it is the time when skills or play are the most similar, actually, where mm-hmm. they're all learning how to cooperate with one right. another. They're all learning how to share control. They're all learning. They All kids in early childhood have challenging behavior at one time or another, figuring life out. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And mm -hmm. so it's the time where, in my opinion, that we should be especially working to integrate and not have Mm -hmm. segregation. But Mm -hmm. anyway, um, what I'm hoping that listeners will hear today is how play is possible for all children of all ages. And, um, uh, in the autism world, we often get hung up on skill development, like I said, and we forget the importance to, uh, of play. What I want listeners to hear today is how play is possible. And I know that people do get hung up with, how do I engage somebody who doesn't seem to want to play with me mm-hmm. and is um, really, you know, kids with autism can t- tend to play solid in, you know, by themselves and they do well. And so parents often will kind of do more hands out, uh, hands off. And so will teachers. And um, so do you have some ideas of how to support those children who might be harder to, to play with, like, how do you start? Like, what would that look like? Um, mm-hmm. What are some yeah. ideas that you have? Absolutely. And, um, you know, one resource that I'll just mention, because I always like to give credit where credit is due, that really helped me in this area. I, I don't use her method completely by any means, but um, Pamela Wolfberg has a book about play and autism, um, play and imagination yeah. in children with autism. And, you know, so to me, that just really 
put it to rest once and for all that, you know, yes, all children can do pretend play and, Mm -hmm. you know, what play looks like for children is highly variable. But the thing is, no matter where a child is in their play development, the best way to connect with them, in my opinion, and to support their play skill development is to simply meet them where they're at. Yeah. So whatever, now, obviously if where they're at is, is throwing chairs, we're, we're going to have to look for the the next best (laughs) thing to build with. Wait, not to say we we don't have to set some limits if things are dangerous in particular, but especially with children, um, autistic children, you know, sometimes they're not using the play materials in the way the creators of the play materials intended or in a way that's fitting with what we believe they should be doing. So for example, to use a totally stereotypical example, but that is, you know, not uncommon, it's like lining up cars or lining up objects, maybe then using them for that pretend element, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, or lining up uh, materials that are intended for building, but they're more doing a a lining up type thing. So basically I just look for what children are doing and to join them, I will start with just using the imitation strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will just use the materials in the same way they are. And as you mentioned, some children are slow to warm in this area. So if a child says, don't copy me, or they don't like it, or they move away, Mm -hmm. I'm going to completely accept that. I'm not going to force it, but I will keep trying maybe that day, maybe in five minutes, maybe I'll wait till tomorrow to modify my version of imitation in a way that might be more palatable to that child. So maybe I'm going to sit further away. Maybe I don't look at them directly. Maybe I sit so that you know, I'm, I'm turned to the side, um, something I, like that, and then see how they respond. Yeah. What I'm really hearing that I talk about also a lot is that you have to build trust first. Mm, and if you, mm-hmm. if the child is throwing chairs, you actually are meeting them where they are because that isn't a time to play. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> the time that they are in fight or flight mode and they're needing their systems to be supported and regulated first. Right. Right. And so um, anyway, I just, I really like what you're saying of this is how, in my opinion, you build trust with any child, but especially Mm -hmm. children with autism, they don't trust that you're going to come and not mess with what is keeping them together, like in their play Mm -hmm. and their sameness. Right. And so you're offering this uncertainty potentially just by your presence first, that then you're kind of upping the ante before then you add elaborations and play. Right. So if they're lining things up and you're just next to them and that's enough uncertainty, you're in the perfect place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Barb, I couldn't agree with that more. And, and I do want to sort of reiterate what you said and clarify what I'm advocating here is is not what to do in that moment of fight or flight, right? Like I know your audience can look to you for that. You've taught me a lot about that. So this is, that's why I say this 
um, is kind of a side door, especially when it comes to children who are exhibiting some of those behaviors that you don't want that are maybe aggression or tantrum. They're regularly getting themselves into a dysregulated state for whatever the reasons. That's not what I'm talking about here, right? This is like, you have to, and some kids, it's hard to find these moments, right? But you find them and those are the moments to join their play. Um, at whatever distance you need to for that particular child. And it's highly variable. So somebody, so a child is lining up cars or putting blocks together in a certain way. What would you do? What would your, Mm -hmm. what would your plan look like? Yeah, I would simply mirror what they were doing. So I came to this from uh, some theater training. I'm not a theater person. I'm sort of an educator, uh, being an imposter as a theater person, like it's I like just a great combo for yeah, play. Just, <laughs> so, so I, in in um, improvisational theater, we have this idea of yes and. And so, mm-hmm. right now, I'm what we're talking about is just looking for what you can say yes to. Um, mm-hmm. We're looking for that offer, is what we call it. It's anything the child says or does that we can simply imitate or mirror. And mm-hmm. one thing that's really key. Um, I would do this non-verbally. I love that. I would not say, oh, I see you're lining up the cars. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that sometimes or that couldn't be fine. But especially for me, which um, children I have worked with that are harder to reach, it works better if this is a silent um, approach. And oftentimes, initially. And um, again, like maybe they're banging blocks rather than building, I would just bang the blocks too. Now I know, you know, depending on your, your spouse is in on the zoom call or something in the (laughs) other, you know, there's times where you, that can be really difficult. So you have to apply this as you can given your environment, but you know, a lot of times it's okay. We can do a little block banging or um, maybe they're just doing like a room, room, room then maybe I would imitate the sound, especially mm-hmm. um, for some kids actually imitating their sounds as opposed to just their words or actions is key. Like they really mm-hmm. notice and um, can, it can be a huge way to, as you said, build trust. Um, so that's where I would start. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And I love just the idea of being really mindful about what you are adding. Mm-hmm. So whether it's verbal or whether it is nonverbal, being just mindful of how is that matching and how, and not doing, you know, I talk a lot about not flooding a child. And, mm-hmm. um, and so if you're adding two things without realizing it, you know, it may not work, but it may be for different reasons than you think. So right. I love the just, right. yeah, being mindful about adding one thing at a time and slowly and trust building. So I feel like I could talk to you forever about this and I love <laughs> it, but I would love for you to share a little bit about the conference that you have coming up because I'm super excited about it. I'd love for you to tell how many years it's been running. Cause I, yeah. And, um, the fact that it is for early childhood. So please tell us a little bit about that yeah. conference. Absolutely. The conference is my, just biggest passion in life, I think, honestly. I mean, my biggest passion in life is helping um, families and teachers of young children. (laughs) But specifically doing it through the conference has been just such a pleasure for me. And 
this will be the fourth year coming up and and you were right there on year one when I had no idea how it would be received by the world back in <laughs> 2018 was mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. And it's grown from there. And basically, you know, it's a it's a free online event for seven days. And it's, it's always been free. I mean, it, it's always been free, but it's always been online. That's what I wanted to say. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, because so many things have transitioned in the last year to being online. So I wanted everyone to know it was designed to be online. Um, and basically it's, it's similar to what you and I are doing right now. So I think podcast listeners tend to really like the conference. It's basically like a podcast, a series of podcast interviews, but with video, we show yeah. the video yeah, yeah. and we have um, speakers from very different backgrounds. And basically we're just looking at issues of challenging behavior from many different angles. Um, Cause there's, you know, as much as we might like there to be, there's no one size fits all approach yeah. for supporting children who are exhibiting those behaviors. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the speakers who are going to be in this year's event? Yes. I would love to. Maybe around play or autism or sensory differences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, one uh, session that comes to mind is uh, with teacher Tom. And he's really, I don't know if anyone listening knows him, but he's a huge advocate for play. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, I won't give it all away, but in that session, we really talk about being very intentional with our language mm. in and out of play. So I, I think it ties in with what you and I were just mm-hmm. speaking about for sure. Yeah, um, we also have Jamie Chavez, who is the author of a recently published book on challenging behavior and sensory integration, oh. um, sensory processing. So I think for any children who have those sensory needs, if you are a parent, family member, or teacher of those children, that session is going to be super helpful, I think. Um, And we do actually have two uh, parents speaking this year. Um, And actually, both of those parents are speaking from their perspective with early intervention, navigating the system, Mm. the trials and successes they've had with their children. And um, I believe that both of those parents Um, their children are autistic. So that might be a nice point of connection as well for folks. Yeah. What I'm really hearing is that not only, and I felt this way too, when I have attended in the past is that it's such a great way to kind of hear what's going on out there, who's doing what and hear a little Mm -hmm. bit more from them so that you can decide who you want to follow on social media or who you want to read their books or whatever, Mm -hmm. that it's also really a helpful way to kind of see, um, different approaches and what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So how, how does it work? I know it's going to happen April 28th through March or May 4th, April 28th Mm -hmm. through May 4th, but what does it look like when you sign up? What does it look like? Yep. Yeah. Well, so anybody who wants to join us, or even if you're not sure and you just kind of want to check it out, they can use the the link that you'll give them, Barb. And then they just, it's very easy to sign up. We just require the name and email from each participant and then basically when the conversation, when the conference takes place every day for seven days, I will email you and I'll give you a link. We call it the daily link to the daily page with the three videos of the day. 
And you can watch one, you can watch 20 minutes of one, or you could watch all three. I don't really recommend trying to watch all three for seven <laughs> days because that seems a bit much. So Pick and it's choose. really, yeah, it's to really choose your own adventure. Uh-huh. And as you said, you get a taste of some very different approaches mm. and then, you know, you really learn what will work for you and your child or your classroom. So awesome. I'm, I'm so appreciative that you do this every year and I hope it continues into many more years as well. And, um, I just, I really want to thank you for coming and talking about the importance of play and then also sharing about your conference coming up. I will make sure to put in the show notes of, um, how to sign up for the conference and things like that. Um, I'm also going to try and do a Facebook group on my Synergy Autism Facebook, Mm. where each day when they come in, I want to do a little bit like I might highlight somebody that I listened to that day and then um, try and have some discussion around it. So if listeners want to join in on that, they can do that as well. But um, Barb O'Neill, thank you so (laughs) much. I so appreciate you being here. Well, Barb Avila, thank you so much for the work you do in the world. And I really appreciate speaking with you today and getting to meet your listeners here. (laughs) I might have to call it the Barb's podcast. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Synergy Autism Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Synergy Autism Podcast, where we bring research, information, and people together to best understand and love those with autism, also known as autistic individuals. Check out my website for lots of additional links, like my Facebook account, Instagram account, blogs that I have written, videos, and even courses that are both free and some that I have labored with some wonderful colleagues um, to produce just for you. And contact me with questions and ideas for future podcasts. I'm here. I'm listening. Till next time.